<laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fandom Power. It is uh, Hank, Wes, and Andy, and we are back today. It's a Sunday afternoon. <gasps> um, all of the fretting that I had done on the lead up to today, uh, not for naught, because there were some serious concerns as I was going through my episode. It is really, really dense. Jam packed. That being said, welcome to the first uh, installment of the Sunday Double Feature, where we are going to cover uh, both Star Wars The Bad Batch, and then later on tonight, uh, you can come back and catch us at uh, our regular 6 p.m. Uh, time slot for The Mandalorian. Or as we call it, The Fandalorian. The Fandalorian. As always, this is a full audience participation show. Uh, always happy to uh, have your comments and stuff uh, throughout the uh, throughout the broadcast as we go. So if you have any uh, thoughts of your own as we're going along, please toss them up in the comments and we'll get to them as soon as we can. However, before we get going. Is it that time? That little tradition we like to call. <laughs> oh, wait, I got to turn the turn the sounder on there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what? let that guy in the, let that guy in the studio. Where is he? Hey, mister, you know what it's time for? Bad. Star Wars jokes. All right. Today's bad Star Wars joke comes from the internet. And why not? He's a pretty funny guy. He's a pretty funny guy. He is a funny guy. Uh, Guys, how does Darth Vader like his uh, steaks cooked? Without sand. (laughs) Without sand. That's how I like mine. (laughs) How does Darth Vader like his steaks cooked? Well, Mm. Our special guest today says, Well done, 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 done. Well done, 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 done. Oh my. All in. You went all in. Nice. You went all in on that one. I sure did. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that was worth a rim shot. Absolutely. <laughs> Vader steaks. I actually have it labeled on the board. Vader steaks. <laughs> Vader steaks. Vader steaks. Oh. Uh, wow. Uh, wow. Star Wars, the bad batch. That joke uh, was medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you have a bad Star Wars joke that you'd like us to do uh, on air on the show here, please send it over. You can send it to uh, fandompower3 at gmail.com. You can uh, drop it in the comments where uh, everybody on your platform will see it. <laughs> or you can hit us up on any of our uh, social media platforms as they are uh, all on screen for you right now. Yeah. Find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or consider uh, helping us out by becoming a patron and keeping the show going. Uh, every Patreon dollar counts uh, when it comes to uh, keeping the show rolling in terms of uh, overhead costs. So check out our Patreon, see if there's anything there that you're interested in. And uh Yeah. Guys, uh, Metamorphosis is the title of our episode today for The Bad Batch. Uh, Before we get into the breakdown, as I always like to ask, Mm. what did we think of this episode? Just general thoughts. I quite enjoyed it. That's an easy one for me. I also really enjoyed it. I I like the the pop culture references and like the alien touches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It didn't stick there. It, It shifted. I absolutely agree. We started in what I thought was an alien movie and we ended uh, in a kaiju movie. Yeah. So, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I'm I'm I, I'm glad that that's what I would that's what I want. That's what I've been asking for. Stuff like this. Like uh, they hurt you. I, I thought. Yeah, it's yeah. 
then I start checking under my couch for more than just the uh, bad jokes guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, want to say right now, I completely empathize with you, Hank. I yeah, have yeah, said, yeah. I have maintained uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's true. I love all of the character beats and the development that we've gotten this season. And I don't think the season would be the same without it. However, having watched Metamorphosis a couple of times, there's no reason why this episode could not and maybe should have been the season premiere. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty heavy duty. I mean, it yeah. all depends on, you know, some of the scorch stuff we're going to talk about soon. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm expecting now just like a just a barrel roll to the finish line now. Like yep. they, they, I don't I don't expect I, mean, I didn't expect halfway through the season for there to be any more sort of filler but i think we run at a runway and i think we're it's going to be a we are now about cool to uh, take off. yeah yeah um yeah I, I don't think this one could have been the season opener you don't think so no just just because of the one line that we'll get to with sid oh sure because sure sure that that thread that crack if you will has kind of been building sure so maybe as written it couldn't have been but i mean with some you know just some minor some, tweaks true. that conversation could have happened in any true. any of the other episodes while they were out doing the fetch quests yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way this episode uh starts out it's supposed to be a fetch quest yeah. and uh <laughs> doesn't really work out that way no when does it i do love the alien vibe from this um and i i analyzed it a little bit <laughs> There's a slide we're going to get to, which I think is going to be kind of fun because we'll get to see sort of some of those uh, evolutions. Also, well, you just said that that conversation with Sid, we are finally getting to that. There's that, like a point where it's like, yeah, which path did they take? What makes you think we're going to come back? Yeah. Don't push me, bandana. Yep. <laughs> and it's right. I mean, it's exactly what we've been saying all along. She could sell them out in a heartbeat. And who knows? She might still just do that. Yeah. Uh, and like you say, Hank, uh, with Scorch coming back, I've got some uh, I've got some thoughts on how he might be used going forward, because I think I actually think we are going to see a lot more of him uh, going forward. All right, let's get things going up here. It's uh, the fan back. It is uh, uh, episode uh, 211 called Metamorphosis. Uh, it aired. Holy crap. Let me move here. Oh, what am I doing? Uh, <laughs> try that again uh this one aired on uh, wednesday march 1st first of march welcome to spring almost uh 2023 mm -hmm. this one is written by uh sabir pirzada uh most recently he was the supervising producer and a writer on miss marvel as well as uh, wrote a few of the moon knight episodes and he is attached to write a nova television series hmm. for marvel neat hmm. i'd be looking forward to that nova's a pretty cool character i like him i wonder which version they'll go with though uh, it's got, I hope, I hope it's Richard Ryder. Um, because that just puts us one step closer to my new warriors. True. <laughs> I know a lot of the, uh, the younger aim Disney animated stuff is leaning towards the new guy though. Oh yeah, maybe, but, maybe with the uh, guardians coming up. Yeah. I mean, we, we could uh, go back to, to Xandar and kind of pick up where the horrible Nova Corps left off and see what's left after Thanos right. got through with them. This one's directed by uh, Saul Ruiz, returning for this one, has a runtime, an advertised runtime of uh, 30 minutes, or an actual uh, 25 minutes and uh, 57 seconds without credits or uh, titles. And the episode synopsis this week reads, 
the Bad Batch finds a mysterious missing vessel. All right. Our episode opens with an Imperial science vessel dropping out of hyperspace. Now, the ship is adrift and belches out smoke while sparks surge across its battered hull. Uh, best I can tell, this is a new class of ship that we've never seen before mm-hmm. until now. So if anybody knows what it is, let me know. Now, pieces of the ship uh, break off as it passes in front of the camera and drifts toward an unnamed planet. That's been a recurring theme this season. We're, we're going to new places and they're not getting named. Yeah. Yep. 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 Leaves it open for later. That's fine by me. On the ship's bridge, loose cables hang from the damaged panels as a, a spark uh, showers of sparks rain down on the deck plating. There isn't a single crew member to be found here. As the camera passes a console, we can see a system malfunction warning uh, flashes up on the screen while at the same time, from somewhere else deep within the ship, we can hear the screams of someone taking their last breath. Uh, anybody who's seen any horror movie ever knows what I'm talking about. There's there's this quality about those final moments that are unmistakable, and that is exactly what that was. Yeah. For a kid show, the body count just keeps growing. <laughs> you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Let's talk about that. And, and I'm, I don't necessarily mean the body count. I mean the sometimes we forget as adult Star Wars fans that that this is still a cartoon. Yeah, there are kids watching this. Yeah. Um, is it? Have we crossed the line? Is it too much? I mean, they get exposed it, to worse on the internet. That is a very good point. They get exposed Elmer, to worse on the evening news. Yeah. Uh, Elmer, Elmer Fudd used to shoot Daffy Duck in the face and turn his bill upside down and backwards. Upside down, yeah. True. Like, you know, the coyote used to fall from 30 stories and get a boulder dropped on his head. I don't... Yeah. I he think, got up and took more. Right. And I think it's... Like, we can get into a whole show about this, but I think it's definitely the parents' responsibility to... to of course it is. Have those conversations with their kids, but sure. I don't think in any way, like, if they can separate the fact that it's entertainment from, from real life, like, not like me and the Muppets, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they're going to be fine. Wama. They're going to be fine. And if they express something like, you know, trauma or or something like that, then yeah. then you, you don't watch it anymore or you have a discussion about it and then you don't watch it anymore. But I think we're okay. I, I don't think there's anything going on here that's like, there's no revenge of the Sith level, you know. <laughs> no, Younglings Layer Five Thousand. There's right. still a there's still this criticism that cartoons are are for kids, regardless. I mean, shows like The Simpsons, Family Guy, and a whole slew of other adult sure. animation have have clearly sure. broken that mold. But still, I think there's this sentiment outside of nerd culture. There's this sentimentality that cartoons are for kids, and so. Well, even though I don't agree agree with like uh, you know necessarily the the Avatar movies, um, I, I'm sure that more and more that 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 sort of has bridged the gap to like the average person pop culture sort oh, of yeah. narrative that there's an adult animation. You know, I, I I don't know if these people can reconcile going to see like Ant Man three and not understanding that that's that's cool world, right. You know right. what I mean? Like it's yeah, an animated yeah. film. There's live actors in it, but it's an animated film. Like that's right. Yeah. I just want to round that out by saying, like the the what's true, what what is true, regardless of what 
what uh, camp or what genre fan you are, mm. audiences are more sophisticated, and that go that includes the the child audience that is watching a Star Wars show. Hundred percent. Hundred. Even though they may not get like the Alien reference. Yeah. Chances are the people making this are the ones that grew up. Oh, of course. That, right? Yeah, like, of so course. There. I mean, it's it's all those influences yeah. there, and hence why it's the golden age of Star Wars for us because it's it's our contemporaries yeah. who are making it. The best yeah. way to get the parents engaged with their children watching the same program is to have stuff that refers to both sets of you know age groups. That way, they're right. going, "Oh, we, we got to watch Aliens later," and hopefully, the kid can handle that. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, funny. Remind me when we get to uh, the Mandalorian tonight that, that this all ties in uh, to one specific actor. Mm. There's a there's a follow up comment that we can have about that. Actually, you know, let's just have it now. Okay. So the ki- the kid at the beginning of the episode of the Mandalorian who's yeah. getting his helmet served uh, that's Jimmy Kimmel's nephew. Mm. He just 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 starred in a Netflix movie with. Um, Ashton Kutcher and uh, Reese Witherspoon called Your Place or Mine. Mm. And in Your Place or Mine, he gets shown Alien for the first time. Mm. Yeah. We, whoa. And he's at like, <laughs> what, 10, 10, 11? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of cool. Well, technically, well, we'll get to it uh, in the Fandalorian, but this is not his first go around with Star Wars. Oh, no. No. That I did not know. Well, I will reveal it on the Fandalorian. Okay. That's awesome. All right, so uh, but you'll have to come back at six o'clock uh, for that tonight, or catch it in the replay. Okay, so where am I at here? Uh, oh yes, yeah, uh, so there it is. The system malfunction. Uh, pretty simple one uh, on this case uh, for the Orbesh translation. Nice. All right. Well, somewhere else uh, within the ship, a Republic commando runs down a dimly lit corridor uncharacteristically for a commando this one is running away from something uh, and not towards it as uh, evident by the way he continuously looks back over his shoulder now rounding a corner he stumbles into a wall and he trips over a loose canister on the deck getting back to his feet uh, the electro staff that he's carrying starts to flicker and smoke like it's about to give out breathing heavily he wheels around and he taps the device with his open hand but it's too far gone and it fails completely. Well, then the camera shifts to this overhead shot looking down on the commando and we can hear a distinct animalistic guttural growling sound as if some kind of creature is stalking this man. Mm-hmm. Another classic horror trope. Yeah. yeah. Especially that hallway, that camera, uh, that camera angle through the grating looking down. It's so evocative of, uh, if not alien, but aliens, yeah. the sequel, the, the, the Jim Cameron film. Yeah. yeah. Dropping the staff, uh, the weapon lay there smoking as the clone lets out a, uh, oh, sorry. <sighs> At the growling sound, the commando wheels around again, looking for the source of the noise. After a moment, the clone slowly looks up and the camera pulls in on his glowing blue visor before the unseen creature shrieks and then drags him off his feet into the ceiling. Dropping the staff, the weapon lay there smoking as the clone lets out a series of blood-curdling screams. Then we cut to the empty hallways of the ship and finally the empty bridge and the lights flicker out. Ugh. All right, so uh, there's the, like I said, we, there's no avoiding the analogy no. here, uh, right down to the camera angle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is totally a love letter uh, to Alien, and in fact, the Alien franchise. But we will have more on that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we then cut to the verdant forests of Wayland, and we see the Imperial installation at Mount Tantis towering over the landscape. Um, in fact, it looks almost like the exact same shot that was used in the uh, season one finale. Quite possibly could be. Three row class shuttlecraft escort a science vessel, just like the one we saw in the last sequence up to the mountain. Now, as one of the shuttles comes in to land, a contingent of commandos escort Dr. Scalder, whom we haven't seen since the season one finale, to wait for the passengers to disembark. And when the ramp drops, another human woman, this one, uh, Emery Carr, steps off the shuttle ahead of another contingent of commandos, escorting a third Imperial scientist. Now, it's unclear in the episode, and the descriptive audio does not help at all, if Emery is a doctor in her own right, or if she's just some kind of assistant. Hmm. Um, but judging from the interaction that she has with the next character, I'm inclined to think that she is just some sort of glorified assistant. Or at least lower on the pole. than Definitely lower on the, uh, yeah, on the totem pole. Well, the next person in line, this guy is uh, Dr. Royce Hemlock. Once again, going back to what I said last week, um, recurrent villains tend to get full names. Mm -hmm. Royce Hemlock, not just Hemlock. Mm -hmm. We'll probably see him again. Pulling her goggles down over her eyes, uh, Dr. Scalder welcomes him and says that all preparations have been made for his arrival. Haughtily, he says, I should hope so. And he instructs Scalder to notify him when the rest of their vessels arrive and to see to the transfer of what he refers to as the asset. Mm -hmm. As Dr. Hemlock walks away, uh, Dr. Uh, sorry, Emery Carr faces Dr. Scalder and instructs her to leave the, uh, to have the cargo taken below. Then Emery proceeds uh, into Mount, uh, the Mount Tantus facility, leaving Dr. Scalder and all the commandos to retrieve the asset from the science vessel hovering just at the edge of the landing platform man um something i noticed in this episode did you notice there are no other troop types here strictly yeah there that's... are only uh clone commandos i guess we can't call them republic commandos anymore no yeah uh imperial commandos <laughs> yeah um uh, and it it led me to think like you know this is a cloning facility and i i started thinking they're I mean, we're not exposed to a ton of them in uh, even in Legends. We know that there's an elite group and they are the cream of the crop. Yeah, there's a couple they, novel series. There's a video game. Right. And they, we, so we seem to. Uh, and, and, and Bad Batch is sort of like a, a new edition of that. Right. It's like an allegory for because this was your your main contention when the show first started was why don't we just use. Why don't we just do Republic Commando? That's what right. they are. And so. There just seems to be so many. Yeah. Uh, and you did point out if there are millions of clones, then sure, there might be uh, 10,000. Tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it just seems like a cloning facility. Suddenly, there's all kinds of Republic commandos running around. And, you know, Lauren was like, why don't, aren't, why aren't they revolting with the, with the rest with of the them? The rest of them, yeah. yeah and I nobody's... thought, well, maybe these are new clones. Like, like new Gremlins, clones. This is the new I'm inclined, I, having thought about it since we last had that conversation, I'm fully inclined to agree with that because one of the other things I noticed is that these clones are way more skilled than your rank and file soldier. It's not a, a bunch of scientists uh, in later on in the episode that are operating the medical equipment. It's yeah. Commandos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like these yeah, guys, yeah. They, they have a skill set that's 
considerably broader than the average rank and file, as you say. Yeah. And that ship, that ship that lands beside the, the row class shuttle, that, that yep. science vessel, that's yep. the same ship that like the same class of ship. Yeah. That the, that the, uh, alien scene was taking place on. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. So, so, and that's what led me to think, right. Multiple, cl- multiple of those ships. So when he says yeah. the rest of the ships to arrive, I, I got the impression that there were many, yeah, multiple yeah. assets of, of coming what's happening. Many We're going to come back to that <laughs> later on because I actually have some numbers uh, where we can sort of we can sort of posit how many we think there are because we can we can get a firm a firm grasp on the minimum number. Mm-hmm. You know, I never say that that's what it is, but the numbers that we do get tell us there's at least this right. many, right. which we we do have a, a firm number, a firm count for that. All right. Well then. Just want to talk about the difference between the uh, new class shuttle versus the row class shuttle. Uh, other outlets incorrectly reported them as uh, new class attack shuttles. They are not. They are, in fact, the row class shuttle. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to that reuse of animation assets. Only this one uh, has a large dorsal uh, dorsal fin. The hull is actually longer. They do share the same basic design, uh, but the row class is specifically made to carry uh, cargo pods, other supplies, as well as uh, mobile barracks. Whereas the new class just serves primarily as an attack shuttle during the Clone War. And uh, while the row class was also uh, double-hatted as a medical shuttle. So room for your troops and all you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special <laughs> shout out to uh, Yammy Dude. Want to shout out to Yammy Dude on uh, DeviantArt, a fellow Canadian who uh, oh. created these models. Uh, free to use. Just give him some credit. Uh, excellent. Nice. I suggest go check out his DeviantArt page. There's a lot of cool Star Wars art there. All right. So uh, Dr. Scalder. Now, I know we went through this before, but if you don't recall from last season, this is uh, actor Helen Sadler. Uh, she has over 50 acting credits, uh, including uh, Ray uh, in the Star Wars uh, Lego Holiday Special. Now, she played Havina Von Reg in uh, Star Wars Squadrons, as well as Major Anri in the MMO Star Wars The Old Republic, and Jyn Erso in Star Wars Forces of Destiny and Star Wars Battlefront. Neat. Crazy. All right. Uh, new character, Emery Carr. Emery Carr, that's uh, Keisha Hassel Cues. Now, she has just over 30 acting credits, including uh, Special Agent Hannah Gibson on uh, FBI Most Wanted. She played, here's another uh, Mando connection, she played Obara Sand, one of uh, Oberyn uh, Martell's wives Crazy. on uh, Game of Thrones. She also played Queen Apollena in Revenge of the Sith. Hmm. Oh, wicked. Yeah, it's one of her earliest roles, actually. All right, now, this guy, Dr. Royce Hemlock, is played by uh, Jimmy Simpson, who uh, has over 80 acting credits, including... Uh, Dreadnought in Star Wars Prodigy. Another show, by the way, although it's a Nickelodeon show, that show is very adult. So, I mean, you can get a whole lot out of that. If you haven't been watching it, I highly suggest you do. It's very good. Uh, He also played uh, Ollie, the Green Arrow, in uh, Green Lantern, Beware My Power, and uh, William on Westworld. Now, who? one of you pointed out that he was the intern on uh, The Late Show. Hmm. Wasn't me. Oh, he yeah, no, he he did a couple of uh, yeah, Letterman episodes. Yeah, 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 and but, uh, uh, one of the McPoyle brothers. <laughs> yeah, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, and Which as is, soon as yeah. I as soon as I heard his voice, I went, oh, he's 
so right, slimy. right. Sunny, yeah. He's yeah, super yeah. slimy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about this character. I, specifically, I want to talk about uh, the naming trope within Star Wars, where sometimes yeah. a character's name is indicative of maybe their, their personality. I, I tend to go to uh, Elon Slizabagano is a good one. Sidious. <laughs> <Right? Sidious. laughs> yeah, Grievous. exactly. So, I mean, it should come as no surprise that Hemlock is uh, extremely poisonous uh, to people and animals. Mm-hmm. So, But it looks uh, yeah. like pretty carrot flowers. It does. They really right. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, um, I'm not going to lie. As far as evil characters go, I love this guy. <laughs> um, and if he shows up in live action, I'm putting my, I'm putting it out there now. Jeremy Renner. Oh, maybe Jeremy Renner looking. He's guy. like Karn Unleashed. Like <laughs> he really he, is. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He doesn't have to hold back because he might get no, trouble by no, the. No. Em- he is the Empire. Right. 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 There's there's a couple other things that are happening here in the opening, and, and this this is part of what gets me really really excited about this character and why I think he's going to be um, a major player. I just want to do a uniform comparison. You've got uh, Scalder and Emery Carr, who are very clearly wearing the same uniform uh, as um, Doctor Pershing and the Mandalorian. So no sure. no surprise here that they are definitely cloning or a part of the cloning yeah. process. But look at Hemlock's uniform. It's it's not it, it has trappings of the science like they're the girl's uniform, but it's colored more like Galen Urso's uniform when he was in the Empire. Yeah. We know he's, from he's sweating a lot in that photo. That's uh, that's the seat that's the scene when he's uh oh, I know. it's raining in that scene. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Interesting they've turned it into a jacket though. Mm-hmm. Uh, some sort of long overcoat. He's still got the big baggy. Uh, I can't remember the name of those pants, but you know the Hitler they're for pants. they're for riding. They're actually riding mm-hmm. pants is what they are. Um, but yeah, not Hitler pants. No, no. So Hemlock I mean, is the, wearing the, some kind of yeah. Go there's for a, it. There's a, a distinction that they share in that the, the the in the simulators of the uniforms. So they were both heads of their science departments. Probably this is what I was going to say. What yeah. we know about Galen's service in in the Empire is that he was in the Army Operations Division. So I kind of wonder if that's the same if that's where him. Hemlock yeah. is coming from. Mm. He's not wearing any rank though, so that's another no. Like, hmm. mind you, neither of the other scientists. Well, civilians, you know. That's that's the other thing, civilian uh yeah, yeah, liaisons yeah. or or I don't know what you'd call them, but yeah. Something else that we should point out about this character. Um, he's got a gloved hand. Mm. What do you guys think about that? Mm, probably prosthetic. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean the hand trope in Star Wars, right? Yeah. Right. So there's a good chance that he lost it and it is a it is a prosthesis. Well, it'll it'll make for a great scene later on when he's you know choking out Nalase or something. Maybe, and it's not just like a normal human hand with normal power. It's just like a crunch. There is a. I'm going to talk about it as we go. I'm not going to. I'm not going to spoil it right now. There's a mannerism that comes up three, four times across the episode that leads me to believe that it may not be prosthetic at all. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to mm-hmm. that though. All right. So uh, moving on. Inside the facility, Dr. Hemlock walks alone down a dim-lit corridor. Commandos snap to attention as he passes. For the second time since landing, we see him wring his gloved hand with the other hand. Mm. Reaching the end of the corridor, we can see that the cell, a cell is blocked by ray shielding. 
Sitting on a bench inside the cell is Kaminoan scientist Nala Say. Hemlock says, It's been a long time, Mr. Say. Looking up at him, she answers, Indeed, Dr. Hemlock. It's clear that they know each other, um, but Hemlock uses a, the specific term. He calls her mistress. Yeah. Do you think at some point Hemlock was subservient to her in some form or fashion? It wouldn't shock me if he was planted on Camino, like, here, go learn as much as you right. can. And, you know, bow down while you have to. I kind of wonder if he was the Emery Carr to Nalase at some point, you know, like the uh, the assistant or something. Maybe. I mean, they probably had. I mean, once they went official, there was probably Republic um, scientists and operatives and oversight. And we, yeah, we can't forget that a lot of the Imperial uh, military comes from the, the Republic military. They do, yeah. You know, you know Ularan the biggest example Tarkin really, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking with a soft and yet sinister voice at the same time, he tells her how it pains to see her like this. And uh, he asks why someone of her talent would prefer to rot in a cell instead of using their gifts to better the galaxy. Speaking in a slow, uh, the slow emotionless tone that we typically hear from all Kaminoans, uh, Nalase tells him that she isn't motivated to continue her work, seeing as how the Empire destroyed her entire civilization. Hemlock calls the destruction on Kamino unfortunate, but he tells Nalase that her research has survived and will now serve a higher purpose. Closing his eyes and reveling at the thought, he adds, the Emperor's purpose. Mm-hmm. We had a very interesting uh, conversation surrounding that line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Nalase's eyes uh, widen as Hemlock asks her, don't you wish to be part of such a scientific achievement? And in a bit of a revelation, Nala says, I know what Emperor Palpatine seeks to accomplish, and he will not have my cooperation. Hemlock's eyes narrow as he stares at her through the ray shielding, and he says, Perhaps you require the right incentive. Well, then he tells her that he'll be taking over operations on Tantus, and he can do far worse than confine her to a cell. And with a sigh, he whispers, and I'll let you think on that, while Nalase just stares straight ahead. Creep All right. Factor to 11? Yeah, creep factor 45 here. Um, <laughs> there's This is the specific moment. It's like there's almost like a Hannibal Lecter, like <laughs> kind of quality going on here. And I, yeah. I asked you guys, have we ever seen, and maybe this is like, I'm reading into this way too much, but it's almost like a, there's a, like a, he's getting off on it. Almost like it's a, Power like, a like a sexual gratification moment for him. Like, yeah. A yeah, position I, of I power. Like, yeah. You know, your American psycho just reveling in the moment. That's what I mean. Like he closes his eyes. I mean, that guy is clear. He's somewhere else. Um, You can't help but not sort of put him up against Cyril Karn and sort of his, (laughs) where his headspace is at uh, with Dead Romero. Yeah. It's, it's like super creepy and very effective, by the way. All right, I want to talk about him a little bit more and sort of the importance that I think this guy's going to play because 
with the absence now of uh, Admiral Rampart, uh, it looks to me uh, like Dr. Hemlock is going to be the, the big bad, the overarching big bad going forward. Um, and I put him up with, with Tarkin for one reason. He just told Nala say that he is now in charge of operations there. So one, I am inclined to believe that maybe he is from the army operations branch, but two, we are talking about one of, if not like, this is equally as secret as the construction of the death star. Yeah. Who was yeah. in charge of the death star? Tarkin. Hmm. Now you've got this guy who's in charge of uh, Mount Tantus and what's going on there, which equal puts him on an equal footing as Tarkin, which in my mind, this guy's part of the emperor's inner circle, the same way that Tarkin is true. Um, and for that reason, yeah. Being as secret as it is. Yeah. And just the timing, I would not be shocked to see him so, like emerge in the Mandalorian hemlock yeah oh yeah i have a feeling that he's probably gonna he's survived some way somehow yeah because like even then they're still finding cloning facilities yep that they didn't know about so we found one last season in the bad batch uh yes last season in the bad batch and it was off world yeah so there are definitely more than just this one facility pockets of cloning around the country and if he's in charge of all of them well there you go right I mean, if if they do any more, if this is nothing more than just a giant cloning facility, which I think it is, but I think it's also more than that. If if they're going to lean into that legends aspect, there could be other super secret projects contained in the mountain that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah. I I stand by this puts Hemlock on an equal footing with Tarkin. That they have an yeah. equal sort of in the in the. Uh, they have a, a equal tug on the emperor's ear, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of them gets his war effort now. Yep. And the other is spearheading his future plans. Yeah. 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 Now that our Patsy uh, rampart is out of the yeah. way. Yeah. We can let I them mean, reel. It, it, there's always the possibility, too, that just like during the Clone War. Right. He could be keeping church and state separate, mm. which is why you're mm. just Republic commandos here. Right. This could all be non-military. It could be. It could definitely. Now, we talked about that when we did uh, on our review series in Andor. Where is that separation between government and military? And, it, you know, they they seemingly are one and the same. Uh, I could see rather than sort of like an inner circle, I could see them just being like, like Palpatine speaks to this guy directly without any knowledge, any right. knowledge by any of the hierarchy. Any like, of the other. Know, yeah, I, I would buy that. I would totally buy that. You know, maybe uh, the Senate guy, the the. Uh, oh my goodness! No, oh, the Grand Vizier. Yeah, Masa may, right. Maybe Masaneda, Masameda has his uh, his ear on all matters. Maybe. Oh, it could be could very well. But be that. but I I I I really feel like <laughs> like Tarkin and this guy would have never crossed paths. Uh, that's could be very well it could be completely true i was just looking at you know in the in, in the imperial hierarchy in the military you know who's got who has got direct access to the emperor you know mm. we know that tarkin is 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 one of very few people. no I, no 100 100 i would say this is almost completely a civilian uh driven uh project like super secret super super secret yeah all right 
Uh, Nala Say, we're catching up with Nala Say. We haven't seen her in a while. Uh, and just as a refresher, Nala Say, that's played, uh, she's played by actress Gwendolyn Yo, who has over 130 acting credits uh, with her role as Nala Say in both uh, The Clone Wars and now The Bad Batch. Uh, Nala Say is her longest uh, recurring role with a total of 15 episodes. Hmm. Now, she also voiced the Claudite bounty hunter Cato uh, Parasidi. Now, there you go. That Star Wars naming convention. Mm-hmm. Parasite. Parasite. <laughs> but she's also had uh, long runs as the uh, English language grandma in the Stitch anime uh, for Disney, as well as Domino in uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Hmm. Highly underrated X-Men cartoon, by the way. Yeah, it's real good. It is real good. All right. Just then, uh, Emery interrupts Dr. Hemlock with a message that they've lost communication with Transport 904. Hemlock instructs her to have recovery teams begin a search, stressing they need the asset that's on board contained. Changing gears, Dr. Hemlock asks Emery if there were any other Kaminoans uh, taking off Camino prior to the destruction of Topoka City. And she tells him that the former prime minister, Lama Su, was, and uh, he's currently uh, in custody and being held dun, 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 on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Hemlock, Hemlock orders that uh, Lama Su be brought here to Mount Tantus so that he can speak with him face to face. thought that was very interesting. A little bit of pull right there. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to take a guy right out of the Imperial Center. Yeah. A prisoner at that. Just send him over. Then take a political prisoner and bring him here. <laughs> wants to talk to him face to face and uh, before walking away leaving emery to stare at nalase in her cell but it's a fleeting glance as emery quickly turns and walks away to carry out the doctor's orders now somewhere else as the havoc marauder streaks through hyperspace the bad batch are all gathered in the cockpit and are taking a hollow call with sid now the trandoshan woman gestures with an open hand and as she dismissively says not sure what's got y'all twisted up in knots. With a pointed finger, Omega reminds Sid that they were stranded and they needed her, and she just left them. With a more uplifting tone, Sid answers, You're fine now, aren't you? And you got your ship back? But even Wrecker, who's usually quite passive in their dealings with Sid, pipes up with, Yeah, with no help from you. But typical Sid deflects and gets down to her latest business. as She asks if the clones want to mope around or make some money. She is a tip on a downed ship, which in her estimation means there is cargo ripe for the taking. And, and she offers to cut them in for 30%. (laughs) Tech points out um, 30% is our standard rate. So she offers to go up to uh, 35% this one time when Wrecker turns to Hunter to uh, gauge his reaction. Hunter just glares, which isn't lost on Sid because Sid tries to sweeten the deal and she ups it to 40%. Now, Hunter's still glaring. So Sid relents and as a token of her goodwill, this one time she'll go up uh, to a full and even 50% goodwill that she accuses the batch of having forgotten sid says uh, she'll send over the details then sternly tells them not to come back unless they scavenge something valuable hunter says uh, what makes you think we'd come back at all 
pointing her clawed finger at Hunter, Sid says, Don't test me, bandana. Just get it done. Then the image of Sid flickers out and the batch break up to go about their shipboard duties. Hunter sits down in the co-pilot seat next to Tech, who hands him his data pad with the coordinates on it. Tech suggests that severing ties with Sid could be problematic, considering what she knows about them, and that they should find a diplomatic solution. That by completing this last mission for her, they could walk away cleanly. Looking at the data pad, Hunter remarks there's nothing other than the coordinates. There's no transponder codes or any indication of what caused the crash. A wrecker blurts out, limited intel, huh? There's a surprise. And then Omega asks, how hard could scavenging cargo be? Always that optimistic little, uh, every situation that this kid faces is always this like, oh, how many times? uh, It'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like roughly 50% of what they've done before is scavenged cargo. Fetch like a, yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, even to her, it should be, oh, this is kind of what we do. Perfect. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. And again, she's asking them, you know, go steal. Yeah. And I, they haven't been back to Ord Mantel at this point, right? Not since so we left. Technically, to, uh, they should yeah. still have in their possession a whole bag full of Ipsium. Oh, that's true. Did they not use it all to blast their way out? No. They held they on. They only used there? the one little container, right? Just a little bit. Yeah. And a precise yeah, yeah. shot. Because we don't miss. That's yeah, right. that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, okay. With an uneasy sigh, Hunter just uh, drops his head. Then dropping out of hyperspace, the Marauder heads toward uh, another, uh, uh, the unnamed planet, where the Imperial Science vessel crashed. Coming in under the cover of night, Omega looks out the rear gunner station and points out there's a nearby village. Tech posits that is why the wreckage was reported so quickly. And on that point, that got me thinking, what motivates Sid to get involved in a recovery mission like this? Like the implication being that someone from the village actually called her. Could they not have arranged a a recovery, a salvage op on world or like how much influence does Sid have? Hmm. Yeah. Or is it just like they reported to say the empire and she picked up a transmission intercepted the transmission maybe and they happen to be very close i and maybe because there wouldn't be very many details going out she does say it's a tip now she doesn't say how or what that tip is but no. i just feel like if anything was this is the, the thing that's most contrived yeah oh we'll, we'll just sort of send them because i mean they need something to do and and yes it gets the episode moving but they're not salvagers they're for you know yeah they're mercenaries so uh it just seems kind of like oh, that's kind of weird and and why isn't there like somebody else competing for what might be on there yeah especially if right. there's a village there why isn't the place already swarming right. with the, people the villagers didn't it, just right? go down themselves and go what's in here yeah yeah right. right i don't know all right well looking at his computer console tech says the crashed ship appears to be mostly intact and the cargo on board should be good enough, a uh, good enough condition to transport. Well, the havoc marauder sets down in a, gr- a grassy field surrounded by tall trees. When the boarding ramp drops, Hunter leads everyone out by flashlight. Now tech stops to check his data pad before continuing on with Wrecker and Omega bringing up the rear. 
As the crew approach the crash site, they shake out into an extended line formation. Wrecker asks what kind of ship it is, and Hunter says that he doesn't know. Then, taking a reading from his scanner, Tex says that uh, based on the severity of the impact and the lack of communication signals, he thinks that the ship's crew all likely died in the crash. But Omega, who is already at an exterior hatch, says they can't know that for sure, and the crew might be trapped inside. And she beckons her brothers to follow her. It's cool of her to jump up there and sort of take that follow me kind of. Again, trying to, you know, there might be survivors. We need to help. Always the optimist. But this this is a little bit more than that. This is the I am taking an active role in this. Yeah. I'm not waiting to be told what to do. The hatch slides open and one by one, the crew enters the dark ship. Hunter leads with, uh, leads with his pistol drawn using uh, what's called the Harry's flashlight technique, while Wrecker brings up the rear in a similar fashion using the same Harry's flashlight technique. <sighs> and here's where I want I, I want to give both a compliment and a criticism at the same time, and I try not to. I try not to be critical because, you know, space wizards and laser swords and stuff. But seriously, other than Omega... Who there is no reason for them to have handheld flashlights. There's just no reason. <laughs> Why can they not have lights on their weapons, especially when the precedent is already set? I mean, I thought, uh, like, last season they had lights on the sides of their well, helmets. That's kind of what I thought too. We've seen other <laughs> indications of that. Baze Malbus yeah. has a real world surefire light on his uh, his machine gun there. Yeah, Tech's helmet shouldn't require any light at all. Well, as far what, as yeah. what I've seen. <laughs> In Don't fact, get me started on that. Having lights that on would screw up his his what he's got going on. Well, I'm going to talk about that as well. It's um, a very D and D thing. Like the absolutely, can't see if everybody's got torches. I think it's great that they use the Harry's technique, which is a real technique. It it adds yep. authenticity yep. to the way that they move, but it's not necessary. Um. Anyway, I I get it. It builds tension. Uh, it it's in in line with the alien thing but even in aliens they had they had lights on their helmets <laughs> they sure did yeah you know what yeah. i mean anyway and as you say how about uh, uh helmet optics hello yeah. yeah we're supposed to believe that tech is the only one that has any kind of optics in his helmet at the only all. reason you don't light a torch when you're in a dungeon with an elf Absolutely. is because they can see to better blind them can, yeah right? exactly <laughs> so you let them take point tech should be point and right. they should be in pure darkness there but that would make right. for some pretty tough screenshots <laughs> we got that though we did we got um season one and that's the one where i like yes when we got the republic commando shot from inside the helmet and i loved mm-hmm. it but i mean mm-hmm. you can't have an entire show filmed that way can you well, can't you <laughs> well i mean we had an entire video game from that perspective if you yeah. want to get if you want to get technical and that kind of worked mm. anyway i'm nitpicking i shouldn't i still love it I'm just being critical for the sake of being critical. Handheld flashlight means they can drop it easier. Uh, yes, can and will. <laughs> you need that to happen That's for certain aliens, like a flashlight rolling across a floor. That's right. Exactly. I'm going to come back to some of the, the the tech stuff later in this episode because, I mean, I, I'm kind of playing it for comedy, but there's a real reason why I bring it up, and we can we can all look back on it and go, hmm, yeah, that did happen. Well, the Bad Batch make their way through the dark corridors in utter silence. And the only sound comes from their boots against the deck plating. Very creepy. Crossing over an intersection, they pan their flashlights in both directions before moving on. Along the way, we see uh, various wall panels have been knocked off uh, and other debris 
lining the floor that they have to step over. Finally, Omega breaks the silence and she says, where is everyone? At the same time, Wrecker trips on an electro staff and the head of the weapon crackles with a small discharge. Enamored at the finding, he lifts up his helmet and he holds up the staff and he's like, whoa, check it out. High voltage electro staff. Like it's some kind of long lost treasure. New toy. Mm. Um, I get the impression that this is the spot that our commando was killed. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that shot of looking down on Hunter is yeah. the very same angle. Like, the only thing we're missing is like a little bit of the uh, floor being corroded. Oh, away. yeah, and some goo dripping off the walls yeah. or something. Yeah. While Wrecker is busy admiring his new toy, Tech spots several deep scratches in the nearby wall, and he announces something unfortunate happened here. The scratches are deep and wide, and Hunter adds that whatever made them wasn't human. Tech says he'll get to work on restoring the power and checking the data logs on the bridge. With his pistol at the ready, he starts off on his own, but then a concerned Omega blurts out, by yourself? And uh, Tech tells her that her concerns are unwarranted and I'll be fine, which is very Tech. Um, it's fine. But, it, you know, he's acknowledging he's her. Like, yeah, he's, he's trying. Trying to get it across. Don't worry. I'm good. The horror genre uh, tends to do a lot of things through the eyes of children. Mm. And so to see Omega have this kind of, she's having a very typical childlike reaction alone in a dark place. What? You're good. What? What? Yeah. Um, it, it really adds to the authenticity that, that in this part of the episode, at least it's a horror episode. Yes. I like it. Even though I don't like horror movies, I do appreciate with the work that they're putting into this. It's more sci-fi than horror. Sci-fi horror. Yeah, it's a genre, isn't it? Probably. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Sunshine. Um, what's that other uh, lost spaceship movie? The one with um, Morpheus. It's like a dude's nightmare on film. It's all. It's like oh, Event crazy. Horizon. That's the one. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's an aside. Bursting onto the bridge with his uh, pistol drawn, Tech scans the room with his optics and visor, <laughs> while uh, steam. <laughs> while steam from a broken pipe uh, vents all around him panning around the room. None of the ship's consoles or control surfaces are lit in any way. Spotting a small keypad on the far wall near the viewport tech sets to work, taking out his scanner to begin repairs, hearing some clattering uh, from off in the distance tech drops his scanner and grabs for his flashlight, aiming both it and his pistol at the doorway. Lowering his visor, Tech scans the corridor, but he doesn't find anything remarkable. Raising his visor again, he holsters his blaster, and uh, he goes back to work on the uh, wall-mounted keypad. Now, um, there is a ton of scrolling text here, and it moved very quickly. It would have taken me a long time to get through all of it. Mm -hmm. I did, though. I did put some work into it, unlike some other YouTubers out there who, uh, who use this scene to make another bad, your mom joke. Uh, there are actual words in here. Uh, and because there are actual words like print formatting, void, invoke, run, toggle class. I actually feel like, cause we've said it before, all things intentional, right? Yeah. I think this is another window into that whole, how tech processes information. This is like, real time yeah and he's processing this stuff as it's going by and i mean if you watch the sequence it's not slow moving no um 
Can you imagine having to process that in real time? Right. And yet he doesn't. Well, that's what I mean. In another part of the ship, Wrecker lifts a door that opens into a large circular room. When they step inside, we can see Omega's breath, and Wrecker says, why is it so cold in here? Hunter says it's some kind of lab. At the center of the lab, there's a huge circular tank. Now, this is interesting because the descriptive audio tells us in this scene that the tank is reinforced with Duracrete, hmm. which is kind of odd for a starship because Duracrete is essentially the Star Wars cement. Mm -hmm. But there's an important difference here because um, when Duracrete is cured, it is virtually impervious, hence why it's used to make buildings. Moving around the perimeter of the room, they shine their flashlights across the dead computer console surfaces. Omega says that the medical equipment in this room is Kaminoan, and uh, Wrecker asks her, what's it doing here? Kneeling down uh, beside what appears to be a broken incubation pod, she says it's cloning technology, but it's different than anything that she saw back on Topoka City. Hunter takes a moment to radio tech and asks him if he's found anything on the bridge. Tech answers, not yet, and he's still rerouting power and to stand by. Tapping a few buttons on his pad, we can hear the crackle of computers coming online. And Looking over at the central console on the bridge, it flickers to life. Tech relays back to Hunter that the power grid should be restored momentarily, and then flashes another look down the empty corridor just outside the bridge. Something is off. He's, he's sensing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now, it's that, you know, the, the tingly. Yeah, I wonder if Hunter was in the uh, the room with him, like, would he just... Oh, Hunter would be like... Hair on the back of his neck up. He'd be head on a swivel. Him. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. With his pistol drawn, Tech moves to the side of the doorway, and he pulls down his visor. Wheeling out into the doorway, he scans the hallway, when suddenly a wall panel falls off and a damaged medical droid slumps out. The droid struggles to speak as it repeats itself, danger, 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 danger. Tech rushes to the droid's side and he asks, what happened? What attacked this ship? But the droid struggles as it looks up at him and stutters, D -d 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 danger, and powers down. Having the, hearing the creaking of metal, Tech stands and he looks up at the ceiling. Now, the medical droid, uh, previously... Now, in Legends uh, lore, this is the uh, Chiwab, <laughs> Chiwab Amalgamated Pharmaceuticals Medical Droid. Uh, it was widely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or simply uh, known as the Chiwab Medical Droid. It was widely used during the Clone Wars by both the Republic as well as the Mandalorian Death Watch. Hmm. Now, it shares the same basic chassis with its science droid counterpart. It made its first appearance in uh, Season 5, Episode 14 of The Clone Wars. That's uh, Eminence. In that episode, uh, both Maul and uh, Savage Opress form an alliance with Pre Vizsla and the Death Watch. In fact, uh, the first time we ever see it on screen, it's actually working on Maul's cybernetic legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Back in the lab, Wrecker runs his hand across a broken wall. When he pulls it away, it's covered in a clear slime. Wrecker <laughs> points out that the walls are reinforced, and he asks, what were they keeping in here? Scanning the room with his flashlight, Hunter answers, I don't know, but it's still on board. 
a noise off to the side catches their attention and Omega snaps her head in the direction of the sound. Together, the three of them move toward the sound, scanning the area. Hunter and Wrecker shine their lights up at the ceiling as a chittering noise fills the air. Looking up, something reptilian-looking slowly moves through the overhead pipes. Get another uh, Jim Cameron moment here. Well, then they see the source of the chittering, a large reptilian creature with a bulbous head and sharp teeth. Slime drips from its body and sparks flash across its mouth as it slurps up a dismembered human arm. Whispering, Omega asks Hunter, what is that? Hunter calmly whispers for everyone to back away slowly. And as they do, the creature follows them with its gaze and flashes its toothy maw. Wrecker lifts his helmet to look at it clearly, but then a tank of compressed gas falls over and begins to vent. With everyone on edge, they all snap to the tank. It only takes a second for them to realize what it is, but when they turn back towards the creature, the creature is nowhere to be seen. Stealthy. Classic tropes. Yep. Panning their lights down, the creature has now dropped to the floor and slowly stalks toward them. Wrecker jabs at it with its with his electro staff, and the creature rends it from his hands and uh, proceeds to eat it. Then the creature lets out a fierce shriek, and the clones unload their blasters on it. And while the blasts don't actually stop it, it's enough to startle the creature, and it leaps up onto the wall and climbs higher up in the lab, disappearing on top of the uh, store that the uh, tank. With their weapons trained, the clones all follow it, but the creature is nowhere to be seen. Just then, the sound of a power-up sequence fills the room, and one by one, the lights on the exterior of the central tank start to flicker to life, along with the lab's computers. Hunter stows his flashlight and draws his second pistol as the group shuffles around the tank with their backs to the wall. Hearing something to his left, Wrecker wheels to see what it is, and the creature is now just a few feet away from him on the floor. It roars at him before charging through him and knocking him to the floor. As the creature flees from the lab, the clones all stack up in the doorway, and they lay down a barrage of blaster fire at its flank. But the thing moves fast and darts around a corner and disappears seemingly unharmed. Radioing tech, Hunter says, we've got a problem. Get off the ship now. And then he runs off in the same direction as the creature with Wrecker and Omega in tow. <laughs> uh, it's like what? Uh, uh, like large dog, small pony size at this point? Yeah, if not bigger. Yeah. All right. So uh, the alien vibes just keep coming here. Um, the whole dripping slime thing, the toothy maw. Uh, I get, I really got the chest burster. Like this is the early they, they make a point with like having the the vestigial like it doesn't have the fully developed limbs yet no they're all flappy and almost fin like right doesn't, doesn't take appear to have any eyes no that's a huge yet. one too no eyes yeah yeah all right well by now fans of the clone wars have all probably figured this out uh that it is the return of the zillow beast um no surprise here it was spotted in early marketing for the show I don't think any of us could have predicted that this is how it was going to be brought back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, but for anybody who's not familiar with the creature, it was uh, featured in a two-part uh, arc of the Clone Wars back in Season 2. Those episodes were titled The Zillow Beast and The Zillow Beast Strike Back. Now, the entire story arc is an homage to the 1954 kaiju film Gojira. Now, the last of its species, the Zillow Beast was accidentally uncovered on uh, on Malastare, which is the homeworld of the Dugs. That's uh, Sabolba's uh, species. When the Republic unleashes uh, a mega weapon called the Electro Proton Bomb, it's not like Godzilla at all. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to the Republic forces, the bomb just serves as a meal for the long dormant Zillow beast, and they wake it up where it then goes on a Tokyo style rampage until the Republic is able to capture uh, and eventually kill it using uh, poison gas. The idea at the time was that uh, then Supreme Chancellor Palpatine wanted to study and clone the Zillow beast to make use of its nearly indestructible carapace for armor. So, here we are, and it looks like, yes, they have, in fact, successfully cloned Star Wars Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Catching up with uh, Tech, he's already on the move and at a full run. He radios back to Hunter and the rest of the crew that he thinks the ship was some kind of research vessel. Wrecker emphatically answers, we know, while Omega adds that whatever they were researching has just gotten loose. And uh, Hunter punctuates it by saying, and it's headed your way. Back with Hunter, Wrecker, and Omega, the three clones round a corner and are stopped dead in their tracks as the Zillow Beast has latched onto a turbine and is literally eating the raw electricity pumping out of it. Hearing the clones, the Beast turns to look at them and swings its tail in this defensive kind of stay away gesture. Thinking out loud, Wrecker rhetorically asks, does that thing look different to you? But it's not rhetoric because the Zillow Beast has actually doubled in size. Suddenly, Tech rounds the corner from the opposite end of the corridor, and he slides into a stop, completely wide-eyed at the sight of the Zillow Beast. Now threatened on both sides, the Zillow Beast turns to face Tech and roars at him. And the turbine uh, arcs with electricity and it courses through its body. Uh, cool moment here. I kind of got the, the, what's the thing in the, the Jurassic Park thing? The <laughs> Oh, the Dilophosaurus. That's, I got that when the, when the sparks went off. I'm like, oh, it's kind of Jurassic Park. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Taking a step back, tech remarks. Fascinating. Very uh, Spock-like there for a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't worry, it won't eat you at all. <laughs> no, it just had a meal. It had a couple meals. The Zillow Beast advances toward Tech and uh, the rest of the crew open fire on it from behind, which does nothing except piss it off. And it now changes its focus and starts to move back towards them. No, uh, um, not only has the Zillow Beast grown in size, but its body has also begun to change as the armored plates on its back are now beginning to flare outward. It lets out another roar, and once again, the turbine arcs, uh, sending another surge of raw power through its body. Tech raises his pistol as he shouts for the others to take cover, and then he blasts the turbine. Wrecker grabs Omega, and along with Hunter, they rush back down the hallway, avoiding the blast as the turbine explodes in a giant electricity-laced fireball. The explosion literally blows a hole in the side of the ship, 
and the Zillow beast lumbers out, sniffing at the night air before running off into the woods. Tech and the others chase after it. Taking a moment to lower his visor, Tech spots the thermal image of the Zillow beast and it's headed straight for the village that they passed when they flew in. <laughs> of course it is. Yep. <laughs> Hunter says they have to neutralize the creature before it can hurt anyone. Tech surmises that uh, it's likely the Zillow beast ate the crew and probably isn't hungry. Terrified and repulsed at the thought, Omega staggers back into Wrecker. It, it, ate, the, it ate the crew? It ate the crew? <laughs> Trying to comfort Omega, Wrecker says, how is that helping, Tech? But Omega is in a bit of a stammer as she repeats, it ate the crew? Hunter orders Tech to access the lab files and find out what species they're dealing with and how to stop it. Snapping out of it, Omega says that she does know her way around Kaminoan Tech, and she can help. As the two head back into the ship, Hunter and Wrecker run through the woods uh, towards the Havoc Marauder. Now, it is, it is nice that they actually referenced that it probably ate all the crew. All the crew. Because that's one thing, like, even in, uh, what was it, uh, Jurassic Park 2. Yeah where the ship rolls up on the dock and like, there's only a couple body parts left yet. Right. You know, they're, they're in spots where the T-Rex could not have eaten them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. But at the size what that about- it was, the Zillow beast could have maneuvered through the ship and ate everybody. Oh, I get mm-hmm. baby Rex didn't eat anybody. Uh, Baby Rex wasn't on the ship. When oh, that's true. Coming. No, that's true. It was only on the ship on, on the way out. That is true. Oh, yeah, that's right. They needed to lure Mama out. Yeah. 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 All right. So. Um, but nice day to address it. I think so. Well, lifting off, Hunter flies the ship low over the woods. And while he splits his attention between flying and the ship's sensors, Wrecker visually sweeps the ground from the rear gunner station. Calling up to Hunter, he asks if he sees anything. And with a blip on the sensors, uh, Hunter relays back 025. Wrecker tracks the coordinates with his targeting computer and takes a few shots at the Zillow Beast. But the creature is incredibly agile and it dodges the blasts under the cover of the trees. Losing sight of the Zillow Beast, Wrecker leans forward in the gunner's seat to get a better look out the window. Yeah. And uh, suddenly the creature leaps onto the ship. Startled, Wrecker drops the cannon yoke and he throws his hands up in front of him. Zillow Beast roars at him as electricity crackles through its mouth. And then suddenly the creature leaps off the ship back to the ground. Hunter calls back, did you get it? And meekly Wrecker answers, no. Back in the lab, Tech plugs into one of the medical consoles. And he's surprised by how encrypted the data is, even within the ship's own systems. Hmm. Standing at another device, Omega points at it and tells Tech, start here, because this device is what's used to extract and manipulate a host's genetic material. He asks her if she's familiar with this type of cloning, and Omega says, not exactly. But she did hear rumors about other Kaminoan experiments, but Nalase kept that data away from her. Omega thinks that whatever they were doing, it was off-world. On the edge of the woods, the Zillow Beast runs into a clearing and stops to sniff the night air again. It's just a few meters away from the village power plant, 
and it only takes a moment for the creature to climb to the top of one of the plant's uh, two towers and bathe itself in the electricity arcing between the transformer. Mm. But that's not enough, as the Zillow Beast begins to chew on the transformer, causing the power lines that uh, feed the village to overload and spark. Now, do we think that it was more or less drawn to the to power? the power? That's what it was sniffing for, maybe. Yeah, because like on, on the ship, uh, it doesn't run out of the lab until Tech gets the power going. So it's maybe True. chasing off after that, as opposed to I would think so. I mean, to eat them. The first, you know, food, I guess, is sort of one of the first things a a newborn would do. Yeah. Mm. Other, I mean, you think about. Well, I mean, it didn't hatch, so I mean. Man, I don't. I don't even know. We don't know enough about the biology of this thing, but it does make sense. It makes sense. Okay, food. Because like that, food. That was the the plot of one of the Godzilla movies, was it not? He was going seeking radiation. Uh, well, ultimately, that I think that's kind of in the early ones for yeah, sure. Yeah. That that's sort of the plot of a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Must have so food. It doesn't really matter who's in its way. It's just going towards. Yeah, its yeah. I mean, it's just doing what it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, coincidentally, um, doing what it does, it actually, uh, it fed on, uh, early dugs. They were food for this thing. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So where are we now here? Let's move one more ahead. Okay. Back at the lab tech has begun to decrypt the data and is surprised to learn that there are designs in the computer that use the creature's genetic material for modified armor plating, uh, on his uh, scanner. It actually says analysis complete. He surmises that was why uh, their blaster fire was ineffective. Omega asks, then how do we stop it? The tech isn't sure, but one thing he is sure of is that the Zillow Beast is definitely feeding on electrical energy, and that energy is the source of its rapid growth. Omega asks, you mean it'll get even bigger? And as he studies the Kaminoan console, he blinks for a second and he slowly answers, yes much bigger it's gonna be a big twinkie yeah as hunter and wrecker fly closer to the power generating station tech radios to tell them the creature is the same species that attacked coruscant during the war and they must keep it away from the power grid otherwise it will grow exponentially larger but as hunter slowly banks toward the station He can see that for himself as a now (laughs) fully developed Zillow beast stands up on its rear appendages from head to tail. The Zillow beast is easily as tall as the transformer tower. He tells tech it's too late. And he pulls hard on the Marauders control yoke in an attempt to pull away from the Zillow beast. And it's almost as if the Zillow beast makes eye contact with Hunter as it bellows at him and then whips the havoc Marauder with its spiked tail. Fortunately, it's a glancing blow and Hunter is able to keep the ship in the air and uh, he then starts to loop back around all while the Zillow Beast continues to absorb power from the station. All right, so um, we've had this thing go through uh, three distinct phases of growth in a very short period of time. And I thought it would be fun to do a little size comparison. So I threw this together to sort of give you an idea here. I've used Wrecker as my as my benchmark here. Now, I did not will I I promise you, I did not willy-nilly this. I went back through the episode and I used not only the perspective of the shots, 
but also other uh, objects within those shots to approximate height how height. big this thing is versus a person now with the large one if we go back a couple of slides to the the power station you'll see on the bottom of the the station there's a man-sized door mm -hmm. on the on the ground so i took my little wrecker model and i shrunk him down to put him inside the door and then i put that against the that entire image wrecker in the door next to the next to the one with him standing on the transformer and i scaled them so that they were approximately the same size mm -hmm. and then took the zillow beast asset and the wrecker model and i scaled them together to uh, come up with what i believe is an a fairly reasonable approximation of just how big it is right now i'd say so um we do get a look at it later on and we can we can sort of you know poo poo or or did i get it right uh, because we do get a full body shot of it later on in the episode. Hmm. But that was sort of my take on how big it is right now. So it's roughly how many wreckers high? <laughs> <laughs> I should have done that. <laughs> I should have stacked them all on top of each other. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Ten wreckers high. Yeah, really. Well, in high orbit over the planet, three Venator-class uh, Star Destroyers drop out of hyperspace in a uh, triangular formation. No surprise there. Uh, from the rightmost ship, a wing of LAAT gunships, uh, along with some viewing starfighters, pour out from the ventral hangar bay. Then another Imperial science vessel, the same class as the crashed ship, drops out of hyperspace and follows the fighters down to the planet. Down in the village, the commotion has gotten the attention of the villagers, and many of them have gathered at a railing overlooking the power station as the Zillow Beast feeds on the transformer. A power converter near the railing surges and then explodes, setting off a chain reaction that knocks out power to the entire village, and the village goes dark. Well, Hunter makes another pass, and he yells at Wrecker to uh, stop it before it gets any bigger. Wrecker continues to fire from the rear gunnery station, and he calls up to, up to Hunter, I'm trying! Now, the rounds impact on the Zillow Beast's chest, and it rears its head and roars at them coming about hunter puts the marauder in a dive uh, at the power station and unleashes a barrage from the forward cannons and just like the previous attempts it does nothing but aggravate the creature and it takes a swipe at them as they pass checking the instruments hunter sees several bandits approaching and he warns wrecker we've got ships on our tail pulling the marauder into a steep climb hunter pulls away from the power station and narrowly avoids flying straight into the mountain that the village is built on. Now, the strafing fire from the gunships misses the Havoc Marauder, but instead rains destruction down on the village as people flee in terror. Uh, some pretty uh, fancy flying from Hunter in this episode, mm -hmm. uh, and they're kind of blinking, you'll miss it. Like that one, if, if I wasn't going over it frame by frame, I didn't realize how close he was to pancaking into a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get another cool moment here coming up here inside the marauder gonky stumbles around the cabin falling over as hunter pulls the ship into the steep climb wrecker shouts where they come from several uh, gunships and b-wings close in on the marauder well now back on his feet gonky tries to make his way forward again but is suddenly flung back as hunter jams the throttle forward telling wrecker hold on Hunter radios Omega and Tech to warn them that Imperials are headed their way. 
Omega beckons Tech to leave, but he hesitates, saying that he hasn't finished transferring all the data yet. Then the crashed ship shudders and the lights flicker and both Omega and Tech look around the room. Not wanting to wait any longer, Omega tells uh, Tech, come on, and they both exit the lab at a full run. At the power station, three LAATs circle around the Zillow Beast, while a flight of V-Wings streak past, headed towards the downed science vessel. Inside the crashed science vessel, Tech and Omega run towards the hole in the ship's hull, as the corridor behind them erupts in flames. Passing through the area where the Zillow Beast fed on the turbine, they explode, and the two clones just barely make it outside as a huge fireball blows out the hole with them. Outside, the flight of V-Wings drops bombs on the science vessel in an attempt to blow it in place and prevent the Kaminoan tech and research from falling into the wrong hands. Little do the pilots know, it's too late for that. As the length of the ship explodes with the impact of each bomb, Tech and Omega run for their lives. Tech grabs Omega, and the two roll in behind a huge tree as the explosion rolls over them. Okay, so uh, blowing in place, that is a, a real world. Uh, it's pretty common in, in, uh, in the military, uh, more so than you would think. Uh, we actually did quite a bit of these when I was overseas. Hmm. Um, and for basically the same reasons, you don't want your, I can't have it. So neither can you it's basically anything that's uh, secret. You don't want stuff falling into the enemy's hands that can be used against you. So you would uh, blow it in place. And quite often it would be done just like this using aircraft and big bombs. Hmm. Now, um, <laughs> I was going to talk about this. Uh, I said, I was going to come back to it. And this is the point where I want to point out. First, she chokes her way through a sandstorm. Now she gets roiled up in a fireball. Is it not time for Omega to get a full suit of armor? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like face mask. This is just like she's got to be the most survivable non-armored Star Wars character ever. The young you know Arnold I mean? Schwarzenegger. <sighs> like. I don't know if you see that, that the fireball, like they're in it. Yeah. They are consumed like she, at the bare minimum flash burns like her lungs should be fried. Anyway, <laughs> maybe it's the force. Who knows? Anyway, I just think she should get a, a suit of armor at this point. She's just been put through too much. Upgrade the gear. All right. In the skies over the village, Wrecker returns fire at the gunships that were chasing them. Suddenly a group of V wings races toward them head on. Hunter manages to pull up, and one of the V-Wings collides with the gunship. The fighter crashes into the mountain, raining debris down on the village where people are now running in every direction. Again, that fancy flying. At the power station, uh, the three gunships lay down a heavy barrage of blaster fire on the main building. The Zillow Beast roars as both uh, transformer towers go dormant. Then the Imperial science vessel drifts forward and it shoots the Zillow beast with what looks more like a satellite dish and less like a cannon. The descriptive mm. audio calls it a concentrated energy beam. And it seems to actually have an effect as the Zillow beast uh, roils and groans in pain. The science vessel unleashes a second blast and the Zillow beast doubles over backward and falls to the ground. It lays there for a second before getting back to its feet and then rushes toward the forest. 
but a third blast from the science vessel flattens the creature and try as it might to get back up, it falls unconscious. Moving over top of the creature, a circular hatch irises open and a huge articulated claw, kind of like the, the claw game at Walmart. Mama's yeah, yeah. Lowers down, from, lowers down from the belly of the ship. Now, based on the look of that energy weapon, yep. are we not are we sure that it's firing at and not siphoning from? Because like if the thing grows on electricity, you are steal they not its feeding juice? it? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that because right. I spent a lot of time. Because like I guess like an ion weapon to me, which would neutralize the. Yeah, so ion weapon certainly from the role playing game, we we know that ion weapons have an effect on on uh, on flesh and blood. Yeah. They do have an effect on flesh and blood. They basically they they can be lethal. Um, but they work more like a stun weapon. Hmm. Now right. I'm going to get to that because I, I went deep on this one. I keep in mind, we did not have a podcast when the, the, the Zillow beast episodes of the clone wars, uh, came out. So I was not nowhere near invested in the lore as I am now. Um, but when we get to what it actually is, it's a very cool, it's a very cool nod. And uh, I think you guys will appreciate this. Cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. On that note, let's get to it right now. All right. So the concentrated energy beam actually has its origins uh, in the Republic self-propelled heavy artillery that we saw in Attack of the Clones. Like there is no denying that that energy beam looks exactly like those uh, heavy artillery pieces. In fact, for the Zillow Beast episodes of the Clone Wars, Dave Filoni actually used those vehicles as inspiration but he had them redesigned into what would become the, the uh, Republic, the RX 2000 Falchion class assault tank. Hmm. And those assault tanks are actually an homage to the Mazer tanks from Godzilla. Nice. Now, whereas the self-propelled artillery was equipped with the most powerful land-based turbo laser battery, the Falchion class assault tank is equipped with what's called the NNJ 40 Thunderbolt long-range ion cannon yeah and using yeah several of these tanks uh were actually able to induce a sleep-like state on the zillow beast so now here we are a few years later and that weapon has been refined or or upgraded made larger and uh, a single one on a capital ship is enough to uh well to knock it out preparation i always learn from the past right yeah Ion weapon to me always functioned like an EMP on a ship, knocking out all its electrical. Systems. Right, it totally so would. An electrical, an electrical based creature, it would just you know render them. Yeah, yeah. I love the origins though. Uh, the the from the uh, Walker at- artillery piece uh, to the 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 Mazer tank, as it were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's wicked. I do. Wicked. I love it. Okay, so. Uh, as the Havoc Marauder darts about avoiding uh, the incoming blaster fire, uh, both Hunter and Wrecker see what's happening on the ground, and Wrecker blurts out, They're not killing it! They're taking it! From the cockpit, Hunter exclaims, Let's not be next! And he pulls the Marauder into a steep climb, pulling away from the village as uh, gunships give chase. Three uh, row-class shuttles uh, descend on the village all of them uh, carrying uh, slung, uh, slung pods on their ventral hull. Now, one of the shuttles uh, pulls into a hover over the railing at the edge of the village, and when the ramp drops, 
uh, a dozen or so uh, clone commandos all file out. Uh, they file past their uh, commander, and lo and behold, it's RC-1262, Scorch. Now, we haven't seen Scorch uh, since uh, Season 1, and, and uh, the last time we saw him was in the episode uh, War Mantle. Uh, that's the episode where the Bad Batch rescues Gregor. During the escape uh, with Gregor, Hunter actually stuns Scorch into unconsciousness. But by the end of the episode, uh, during the escape, Hunter is actually captured and Scorch is back on his feet and actually leading the, the batch of commandos that brings Hunter in. Hmm. Clear of the forest, Tech and Omega pause to radio Hunter. Tech says uh, they're clear of the wreck and they're headed to the landing zone. And uh, Hunter replies, copy that. As they fly lower over the forest, Wrecker fires at the three pursuing V-Wings, and he means business, uh, fatally striking all three fighters in quick succession. Folding up the Marauder's wings, Hunter sweeps in low without actually touching down, and he drops the boarding ramp. It's a real, like, Vietnam dust-off yeah. kind of move. Mm-hmm. Tech and Omega leap on board and quickly uh, hop into their jump seats, Hunter guns it as three more V-Wings now take uh, take up the chase. But he's not interested in fighting, and uh, he makes a break for space, flying right past the three Venators. <laughs> uh, unchallenged, by the way. Uh, flying mm-hmm. past the three Venators in orbit, the Marauder makes the jump to hyperspace, and the V-Wings break off. On board the science vessel. Oh, here we go. And here's my uh, here's the comparison shot here. Oh, that actually not too bad. I think I was pretty close. Mm-hmm. On board the science vessel in the lab, a commando operates the controls. A commando operates the controls, not a scientist, not yep. a commando. And you need it done. Exactly. Uh, and the, the, the tank begins to fill with liquid. Inside, the groggy Zillow beast roars one last time as the liquid rises above its head. The commando monitors the display in front of him where he gets a reading uh, on what looks like some of the beast's characteristics as well as a vital sign data. Inside the tank, the Zillow beast floats, uh, floats in a sleep stasis of uh, some kind. Uh, that's a composite, by the way. That Obviously, the, the camera pans from the floor up, up to the ceiling, so I had to composite those together. So it's not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's close. Yeah. Down in the village, the commandos round up the citizens. Under heavy guard, people of all species are forced uh, into the shuttle pods. Um, it's likely that they're headed for a lifetime of incarceration and indentured service, and for nothing more than having witnessed something that they were never intended to see in the first place. Um, Narkina 5, anyone? Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, last episode, we talked about how does somebody uh, come by an all-child labor force? What? the heck are they going to do they're rounding up everybody men women and children yeah i'd hate to think i got the impression they were you know going to call the village oh that's an interesting thought too i mean they 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 sort of anyway i think you'll have notes on on that in a minute we'll get to it yeah 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 yeah, we'll get to it as the Havoc Marauder wakes, uh, wakes, as the Havoc Marauder makes its way through hyperspace, Tech briefs the crew on what he was able to find out about the downed uh, science vessel. Omega, meanwhile, sits quietly stroking her Tuka doll uh, laying across her lap. 
this whole scene, she doesn't say anything. She's quiet. I feel like this is the fallout. Now that the, the immediacy of the, the Zillow beast is over, is she still dealing with the, it ate the crew? Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the psychological impact of this is, is now starting to set in with her and the whole stroking the Tuca doll for comfort is, is a reflection of that. Yeah. Cause like they got away lucky on, uh, with the beast that was getting into the giant mech where it, right, didn't, right, right. it didn't have a chance to eat anybody. No. And back in season one with the rancor, it was still a baby. So it wasn't eating anybody either. Eat anybody, yeah. But maybe this is her first encounter with something that could follow through. So this is the first of three things that, that eats people that actually did. Yeah. Well, did she see, did she, was she present for when it slurped up the, the arm? Because there, if you look, there's a hand on yeah. the end of that as it mm. slurps it back. Homage, yeah. homage to the rancor scene. Seriously, I, I'd like to go back and kind of watch it because I don't. Maybe she's not hasn't been privy to death yet because they stun everybody. Yeah. That's true. And she any might, death like, really is like a far off shot to a ship. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like they, it's kind of been. Yeah. So I, I wonder actually. I'd, I'd have to go back and watch it just for that. I think yeah. this might be the first time she realizes that like. You could get killed doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tech says that the ship was part of an Imperial cloning operation. Uh, rhetorically, Hunter says the Empire cloned the Zillow Beast. Uh, with a more accurate answer, he uh, Tech tells him that the directive to clone the Zillow Beast actually came from Palpatine when he was still the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic. Wrecker mm-hmm. asks, what's he want with it? Looking at more detailed biological data on the creature, Tech tells them that in the hands of the right scientist, the Zillow Beast's genetic material has the potential to be weaponized. Hunter asks where the Empire was taking it when the ship crashed, but Tech doesn't know. And he says there was no destination in the ship's logs. And he says there's far more going on here than any of them realize. He then goes on to propose that the destruction of Camino wasn't the Empire's way of trying to destroy cloning, but rather it was their way of taking control of it. Hunter steps away to think about what he's just heard. Then after a second, he turns back towards Tech and he instructs him to send the data to Echo and Rex to see what they can find out. Omega watches as Hunter heads back to the cockpit, an obvious look of concern on her face. Uh, there's a lot going on. There was no way that I could, I normally would try to like blot it out and put in the translation, but there's so much going on there. Um, this is the cool part where we can actually chew on the Zillow beast and, and how many. And, more yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the first slide, we see it in its, uh, we'll call it the ch- uh, chest burster stage, I guess. Infancy. Yeah. Specimen A, they call this uh, growth level one. And then, of course, we have uh, a bunch more information. Arms and uh, arms, legs and hands have extreme dexterity, layered scales, high density armor, armor in normal state, armor plated tail spike. Tail can be used as a weapon. High adrenaline, no lactic acid. This is interesting. Threat level six. Hmm. So uh, growth level one, threat level six. (laughs) (laughs) However, on our next slide, Growth level, still specimen A, growth level six, high adrenaline, heart rate 300 beats per minute, normal, lactic acid zero, high density armor, eating state, layered scales, advanced 
vision uh threat level 10 <laughs> so the same level midnight <laughs> so th this is interesting because if you go back to the slide that i made with a little record comparison we saw three stages of growth they're saying that there's at least six stages of growth mm -hmm. um the level one is a threat level a threat level six and the and the level six is a threat level 10. now i tried to look up sort of threat assessment uh, for the empire and there really isn't anything but 10 is a lot higher than six mm -hmm. could be uh, like hurricanes exponential it, very much so very much so so now we get a ship that shows up at, at tantis at the beginning and they say you know uh, unload the uh, the cargo yeah i assume it's another one Oh yeah, we've got a, a crash ship, so that's two, and now we've got this recovered one, that's three. So there's at least three, but there were. Well, no, because the crashed one is the recovered one. Oh, I guess that's true. That's right. right? So there's at least two of at them. At least two. Zillow. At least two Zillow beasts. But the way he was referring it to on the docking bay, the rest of my like ships. The rest, yeah, the rest yeah. of them. I guess if one has arrived <sighs> and there are two more inbound, the rest of them could be yeah as little yeah. as two. Right. Or else you would say, where's my other ship? Yeah. 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 Or if you're going with the naming convention and it's, uh, what was it? It's a zero, zero four. Uh, the number, uh, the, the ship. Yeah. It was like a zero five nine or something. I can't remember. What slide was it on? Do you remember? Way up there. It was, it was back at the beginning. But if it's like zero, zero four, maybe there is also a zero, zero one, a zero, zero two. And a zero, oh, zero, right, three. right, right. I get it. I get it. But that does kind of wonder sense, if the, it? uh, I wonder if the Zillow B scaling is used in the Praetorian Guard armor. That seems to be light. Oh, you know what? That is that is very interesting. So that's a, an interesting point. We should probably talk about that um, because it doesn't come through in this because uh, no Jedi in this show. No. We learn from the uh, Clone Wars episodes, not only is it impervious to blaster fire, it's impervious to lightsabers. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So that that's a big deal. And the other thing too, right? Like, it can take as much electricity as you give it, right? And where do we see somebody using a lot of force lightning? <laughs> well, that's a that's an interesting thought too, right? I mean, uh, Palps make himself a a, a, little a bit suit more. of a suit of uh, force uh, force turn, lightning. So that, uh, uh, so that tracks with ancient Sith. That tracks with ancient Sith because we have yeah. like Darth Malgus and 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 things like way back in 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 Legends where they're they're wearing like dragon scale armor, of, of, you know. Sure. Ostensibly. Ostensibly. The, Something the to compete with Beskar. Cortosis. Yeah. Or Cortosis Weave. Cortosis. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So uh back at Mount Tantis, the science vessel that uh, recovered the Zillow Beast sits docked. Inside the facility, Emery and Scorch walk down a corridor. At the end of the corridor, they meet up with Dr. Hemlock and inform him that the Zillow Beast has been secured below. He praises her and then asks about their other guest. And uh, Emery tells him that a shuttle is arriving as they speak. Scorch falls in with Dr. Hemlock and they head out to meet the shuttle. On the way, the doctor asks Scorch if any of the villagers saw the Zillow beast. He tells him uh, several and adds that uh, they have been detained and will be dealt with. There you go. <laughs> that's a, that's there a you very go. Uh, yeah, dealt with. Very yeah, broad yeah. Term. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say you want me to take care of your wife while you're away. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. 
Scorch also tells the doctor that there was a military shuttle that managed to escape. Wringing his gloved hand again, Hemlock orders the commando to find out who it was. Then a row-class shuttle lands, and when the ramp drops, former Kaminoan Prime Minister Lama Su is escorted off the ship in handcuffs by more commandos. Whom I assumed was dead, right? Did anybody else get that impression? That Lama Su was dead. I, I don't remember, to be honest. Yeah. We, are you saying you thought he went down with the with the ship per I se? Did. And I, to I, I, really, I, I really did, yeah, because they only focused on on, on, Malice, Malice, eh? on her, yeah. yeah, yeah. And First we know episode. that uh Cad Bane killed the other oh that's named right. uh that's one. right. All right. Well, the former prime minister asked why he has been brought here. And uh, with a very sinister tone, Hemlock says that uh, Nala Say has not been cooperative, and her defiance is what he describes as problematic. Patronizingly, Lamasu says, It must be frustrating to have your resources, but lack the expertise to achieve your goals. Continuing, he says, And if you fail to convince her, it won't be long before you are in a cell like me. That's some balls for a guy in handcuffs. <laughs> we got to lose. <laughs> what do you got to lose? Exactly. Uh, like, yeah. yeah. At that point, right? <laughs> she's not cooperating. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, yeah. clearly Hemlock's got. He thinks he has some leverage because he he, he says uh, he's not he's not particularly worried about the implied outcome, and he tells the Kaminoan that uh, he misunderstands the situation, and adds that if he knows a way to persuade Nala, say. Now is the time to speak up. Of course, he does know a way, and using it as leverage, he agrees with Hemlock. And in exchange, he will be granted his freedom. And Hemlock doesn't outrightly agree to it, but he does say, I'm listening, which is a nice, subtle way of like, I'm mm. agreeing with you right mm -hmm. now. But I'm still going to shoot you. I'm right. not, not <laughs> licking toads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Lamasu tells him that there is a particular clone that they must locate, and it's a young girl. Lamasu calls her the key to controlling Nalase. We've said it right from the beginning. There's this paternal mother-daughter thing going on that, even mm -hmm. though it was never spoken, you know, it was uh, it was on the nose. I mean, they wear the same uh, cameo thing on their their head. Yep, or they did. Hemlock plays it straight as he says. How very interesting. Then gesturing towards the entrance to the mountain facility, he beckons the former prime minister to walk with him as he says, uh, it seems like we have much to discuss. And the two head inside. And with one last wide shot of the science vessel docked at Mount Tantis, we cut to black. Now, before we uh, wrap it up here, I'm just going to, just a refresher for everybody who had forgotten. Lamasu, that's uh, actor Bob Bergen. Uh, although Bob Bergen has over 200 acting credits, I will say this. Starting in 1996 with Shadows of the Empire and going all the way to 2007's Robot Chicken, Bob Bergen has voiced Luke Skywalker at least 14 times. He's more Luke Skywalker than Mark Hamill, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot. And he's also been the voice of Porky Pig and Tweety Bird since 1990. Nice. Yeah. We're basically yeah, Luke yeah. Skywalker if you just combine them. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, uh, look at all the video game references for this guy. He's in. No, it's crazy. It, it, it is crazy, actually. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah as i was going i had the list but i'm like i'm just i'm not going to read all these out it's just like it's this many yeah. but like <laughs> uh, masters of terrace kasi was in there nice. um all the rogue squadron games are in there and uh and a whole lot more hmm. all right so um what do i want to do here i want to go back let's find a shot of uh let's go back to uh hemlock here man that that mannerism he rings that gloved hand three or four times throughout the uh throughout the emphasis well there's that that whole like evil like like yeah. rolling your hands but this is different this is a he's ringing it like I, I, do you guys have any, I, mean, I know amputees will, will often talk about having phantom sensations where the limb used to be, but you wouldn't do that to the thing that's there, right? Like, no. And especially like in empire when they're jabbing Luke, once he gets, he, he feels it. it. Right. So it's connected to his nervous system. I'm going to propose given the nature of his job and the, the idea that he may or may not have been uh, working with Nala say on cloning. There's something biological under that glove and it may or may not be human. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. And I, given the name, it probably yeah. pulls the glove off and can poison you in some way. It, it, very, it could be something like that. I yeah. Mean, yeah. 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 It's yeah. So on the nose. Yep. All right. I, I got some other things I want to talk about too. Uh, man, Scorch is back. Uh, and with Scorch coming back, there's uh, implications. There, there are potential long-term implications, whether it's uh, all resolved in this season or whether... Do we know what the roadmap is for this show? Do we know, like, are we getting a season three? It depends how this goes, but I would I, think they could let it go for a couple more seasons. I haven't Between, really heard uh, anything like to the contrary of that, but it seems kind of open-ended like you, you know what i mean like yeah i don't think we're going to wrap this story up in five episodes no i don't think so either man um <laughs> so uh, like i said last time we saw scorch uh he was uh, stunned into unconsciousness by hunter and mm-hmm. then uh, and then shows up at the end of the episode to bring him into uh, to custody so there there is already some bad blood here and you know there's a reason there's a reason why there aren't any clones uh um you know after uh, uh during the original trilogy um we know that something's going to happen here is is scorch the reason why echo it's echo that doesn't make it to return of the jedi why it's gregor wolf and rex mm. <laughs> do you know what i mean like it, it yeah, would be yeah, a great yeah. a great uh confrontation between those two the other big one, and this is the bigger one. I said before the show, I, before you got here, Andy, I said to Hank that, did we just get a bait and switch? Maybe. Is dropping Scorch into the into the show and having him turn up, is this the bait and switch to take our attention away from Crosshair? Crosshair has been, uh, been elusive this season. He's been used very sparingly. Um, and in both episodes that we saw him, he's still sort of struggling struggling with that where do i fit in he keeps yeah. telling people that i you know i'm a loyal soldier i'm but we know the struggles there yeah so remember the uh d bradley baker interview from like early in the season where he said yeah. his favorite episode of all season happened yeah. three quarters of the way through and it was a crosshair centric crosshair episode what are our next couple of episodes called uh i'd have to look it up right now what's after this one 
Oh my gosh. Because um, three quarters of the way would be episode 12 for me. That's what I would kind of call three quarters of the way for dividing it into four, four quarters, yeah. 16 episodes. Uh, season, t- uh, so episode, uh, oh wow, uh, 13. So what are we on now? We're on, uh, we're on 11. 11. Season uh, 13 right. is called uh, Pabu. 12 is called The Outpost. Hmm. The Outpost. The hmm. Outpost. Hmm. I kind of, I, I threw this up here for this reason. I've said right from the beginning that, I mean, Crosshair made a choice. And I've said many times, he is as evil as we are supposed to think he is from the stuff that he's done. Um, and yes, redemption is a big part of Star Wars. I do think that there's going to be a redemption arc for him. And I still maintain that it's going to be posthumously because you don't get to come back from the stuff you've done and say, it's all okay now, but unless unless you're a Jedi, right? If Scorch, (laughs) if Scorch supplants the role of crosshair and be, is, is a bigger evil. Like he's the thing, like I've got, I've got to save my brothers. And, and he does it in a way where those two have, have a, a conflict or a shootout, or if crosshair saves the bad batch by killing Scorch or each other, then that will have satisfied that. Okay. You did the right thing. So yeah, bait and switch. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Stay possible. I don't know if it's so much a bait and switch, but more a reminder, like the batch are not the only clones left. Uh, No, no, amount of clones running around. Well, and we're going to get a whole bunch more with that. If the, if, when this uh, revolt uh, uprising, whatever you you want to figure the revolt is already taking root on Coruscant where they're all waking up to the fact of, what's uh, yeah. about to happen oh yeah but these yeah, yeah, clone yeah. commandos they're fully still dunked in the kool-aid if the yeah i was gonna well, say if these commandos are that's why i have the theory that they are like a second generation of shiny like, and you know, new not shiny you know new clones yeah we don't see any officers on those uh star destroyers at the end we just see science officer science people and and yeah. republic yeah. Uh, or imperial commandos yeah uh, that science uh, vessel nothing i bet but. they're operating completely independent of the military structure of the empire. And this is the, you know, and it makes sense that they could just pump out a bunch of these accelerated uh, commandos based on scorch, even like you wouldn't even need the, uh, the base DNA of, of Django. You, you could literally just clone an existing commando. We do do see now I got to go and look them up now because there was that episode of, of uh, clone wars where, Republic commandos were there. They, they had them, they talked to them on a hollow call. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that was Scorch part of them. Scorch part of that. I don't know. Hmm. I don't, I think he's the only really named one. Like we've just gotten sort of hints that it's them, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm getting GameStop here. I want to see the, uh, oh, there we go. I want to see his appearances. Appearances. Yeah, so they, they are actually, they're giving Scorch a canon credit, uh, appearance credit in the Clone Wars, Witches of the Mist. Yeah. Uh, so they are saying that he is the same clone that appeared in Clone Wars. So yeah, yeah. interesting. So th- that does leave a, a, a modicum of, of doubt that could, could he flip? Probably not. All of them could flip. Yes. The other yeah, thing is that they, right. the other thing is if they're kept separate from the the you know 
the goings on of the galaxy or the military, you know, yeah, like because it's such a super secret project, right? Those those star destroyers are independent of the Empire. They're just full of Republic, or <laughs> I keep saying that, but full of commandos, full of science yeah, officers, yeah, yeah. Full of, of you know. They could be. We and, don't, and they just don't really are only that. fed that information. They they serve that wing of the Empire, if you will. It's interesting. In some of the research I was doing for the uh, for this episode, I went back and I watched some clips from other stuff. One of the episodes, uh, the V wings, the the starfighters in one episode are actually flown by TK troopers. Hmm. Just like what? So I I don't know what's going on there. Could those mm-hmm. Venators be specifically science only? Detach, yes, it's possible. I don't know. Summon, summon Nala say, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, really. Summon, summon Lama Su, and they the three and vendors show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, you know, ships drop. But they, I, I think that you're going to find, or if they get into it, that there would be a separate wing. You know, much like remember we had the tiers in the in the West End games. Yep. Yep. So there's this like you know, cloning division where where you have the uh, ISB that kind of is like the uh, overwatch of every tier. Oh, sure. The secret yeah. service of the empire. Yeah, yeah. There's all these like, you know, and there's this, there's a janitorial branch for God's sakes. <laughs> That's right. Looking you at you. The average stormtrooper knows how to mix a, fix a toilet main <laughs> <laughs> to quote uh, clerks. <laughs> so we got it. We got a, the introduction of uh, 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 the reintroduction of a uh, minor could be, bigger villain going forward we got the introduction of a new bigger bad um and we got back on track with the big picture mm-hmm. um lots more to come it's going to be an exciting yeah. uh next we few weeks stay on these we got to stay on the rails now we can't come off again <laughs> we're so close to the end right we do have to get the final resolution with sid i think that that is it's a coming that is that can't be a a, a things left unsaid yeah. Thing. Well, we just won't come back. I, I mean, sure, you could do that. I mean, arguably, the biggest, arguably, the biggest dangling thread is is crosshair and the resolution there. Like, yeah, they've if they don't interact again, for it doesn't. It almost doesn't make sense. Like that's one oh, of the sure. biggest. Uh, they're going to return to that. Like he hasn't yeah. been a threat to them all all season. Not not at all. Threat to them. Yeah. No, he hasn't. Right. In fact, the only thing he's done is he went on a on a sanctioned mission and was successful. <laughs> right. So we haven't seen them in the context of them, which is what was so compelling about the the first season. Yeah. Was there yeah, yeah. him chasing them down a personal right. vendetta at the behest of of uh, Rampart? That tension that that existed between them. That will he? Won't he? The... So maybe it's that that I'm missing. Maybe maybe, maybe. It really is that. Maybe. I guess it, it, it remains true. We need more. We need more crosshair going forward. Uh, it just isn't the same show without him. I think we can all agree on that. We got a few more episodes to go. We got five, what, five more weeks of, uh, of, of bad batch until uh, it's all wrapped up for season two, where it goes from season there. Four more knows. weeks because the last one's a double, right? Double oh, that's correct. That is correct. Four more weeks. Yeah. Um, this has been uh, the first uh, of our uh, Double Drop Sunday. Don't forget to come back tonight and see us at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern where Andy's going to kick off with uh, Chapter uh, 17 of uh, The I will have a new shirt on to reflect. Um, the I'll, still be, I'll, still be, uh, I'll still be a Mayan Stormtrooper. Um, yeah, I'll be there for that. 
visit RT Public Store. <laughs> yeah, dude, check out. Yeah, we're you over could 70 now. check out the uh, yeah, our merch shop. Over 70 designs there inspired uh, lots of uh, pop culture inspired designs that should look fairly familiar to you, along with uh, designs for all of our review series here on the show. Uh, but so yeah, even so. if we don't appear like it on video, we are not just a Star Wars show because our <laughs> T public proves it. We're just mostly, mostly. He's not dead. He's just mostly dead, <laughs> which means mostly alive. Anything you guys want to uh, uh, chew on before we wrap it up for this afternoon? I'm no. super glad to see that that throwback to the Clone Wars. I, I really love. I mean, that's why we're here, right? Like, the, yeah. The reason we keep going into these animated series uh, is because they uh, they tie back into those. You know, it's the same style of animation and the same. The characters were born there, if you will. And this so is just the- it. Continuing it helps it feel saga. right. It does help it feel cohesive and like it's one big story. It really does. Yeah. 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 Love the look of the Zillow Beast this episode. Again, uh, I thought it looked exponentially better in all phases yeah. of growth, by the way. It just mm. looked way more detailed. Is that the word I'm looking for? Detailed? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Refined. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was good. The whole thing's been good. I can't wait to see where we're going for the rest of the season. But on that note, I'm gonna have to put a put a pin in that because I gotta save up because we're gonna talk some Mandalorian in just a couple of hours. So thanks for tuning in to see us uh, on this uh, Sunday afternoon, guys. Uh, if you haven't already seen Chapter 17 of The Mandalorian, you got a few hours to go watch that and then come back and visit us uh, tonight at six when we go live with uh, Chapter 17 of The Mandalorian, the uh, apostate. But anyway, guys, until then, for Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. I'm Hank. And we will uh, catch you on the next one, which is just in a few hours. And don't forget, same batch time. Same 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 batch batch channel. 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 All right. Bye for now, guys. (laughs) Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms.